0: favorite sound. We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long. We'll talk the games and all the rest about the team that we love best. We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long. We're going to talk about the Cardinals all night long.
1: And we welcome you to another edition of Meet Me at Mutual. I'm your host, Daniel Schroppdahl, C70 at the bat, at C70 on Twitter. With me, as always, Alan Medlock from Red Dirt, Red Bird, and A Medlock one on Twitter. But we are fortunate enough to bring in our good friend Kyle Reese from Birds on the Black. Kyle R416 on Twitter. You know him as the, the man behind Prospect After Dark and the man behind pretty much any of your knowledge of the Cardinals' prospects in the system. Um, Kyle, thanks for joining us tonight. It's my pleasure. I love talking with you guys. So before we get into the, the prospects and things of that nature, you know, I know all of us have snow on the ground, I think right now, which is weird, especially around here. But spring training started this week. We got to see some pictures from Florida. We got to see some guys in uh, wearing red uh, for the first time or for the 800th time, if it's the case of of Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright. Um, Alan. Just out of that just initial pictures, what was the thing that you liked seeing the most?
0: Oh, just that they were back. Um, there was a, it's there's a different look to Florida and spring of uh, just the 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 feeling of approach and everything that's coming as opposed to what they went through in summer camp last year. It seems so surreal last year, the whole season. But to see him back and see him under the sun and see him in the in the uh, in the practice gear and all that stuff that was w- that was gr- a great week and you know can, dealing with the weather that we've had all of us it was nice to see that
1: yeah and Kyle I know you've been literally almost literally under snow over the last little bit so I'm sure you haven't got a chance to see much but just if you have is
2: there anything that stood out to you you know I've only seen two pictures uh, I have not. The two pictures that I've seen, I saw the uh, the Instagram post of Andrew Kisner in the crouch next to Yachty, which I loved, and uh, one picture of Nolan Arenado running around in red, and that was enough to, you know, on both occasions, bring a smile to my face. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, that's or Arenado. Sorry, I've got to get in the habit of saying Arenado. I yeah. don't know why. I just can't pound it into my head. But yeah, those are the two pictures I've seen, and they both made me very happy to see
1: well i'm the last person to try to no. figure out how to say nolan's last name so we we know this by now so um yeah and that's i think that's the the excitement that we see is seeing him in in the in red for the first time and not photoshopped and and seeing what that um looks like when when Yachty signed what last week week before i don't know if time gets away mm-hmm. he said something about ender kisner and ivan herrera being ready and he's helping that transition. I mean, how we know Andrew Kisner is or should be pretty close to ready, if not ready. Yet. Um Herrera's still a little bit off. Do you think we'll see that this year? Do you think we'll actually see Yachty, you know, helping these guys and by that mean letting them play a little bit?
2: We'll find out. I'll believe it when I see it. I know <laughs> that isn't much in the way of a of good analysis, but I, I I don't feel like I've seen anything at this point that would would indicate that that's going to happen.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I think
2: it's interesting that they brought in a defensive oriented catcher. Uh, I think, you know, Ali Sanchez, I think that's really interesting. I think we'll see how spring training goes. That That's how I feel about the whole situation. I'm very happy Yadi's back. Um, I would not feel that way necessarily if
0: I was Andrew Kisner, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't have said it better. It, it's funny. I was glad, so glad to have him back. And even in the, uh, there was a report tonight that uh, came out, and it was actually on the uh, the new MLB writer had put some stuff up about how this is an agreement, and Mo had kind of alluded to that how it's going to be a uh, cut back and playing time. But in the back of my mind, the whole time I'm thinking, okay, this probably means Kisner's going to be in Memphis. Seeing that they start in April, it'll probably work that way because they brought in a catch and throw guy, yeah. kind of like uh, you know uh, Tony Cruz <laughs> from a couple of years ago. And you're thinking, is that just going to be? Are they going to rotate that that backup catcher spot and just to kind of fill in when when Yachty doesn't play? That's that's kind of the feeling I get, kind of like you. Probably wouldn't be the best for them, but uh, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. If it's otherwise, yeah, we can be as idealistic as we want to be. Sure. And the
2: plan going into the season can be that Yachty sits every fourth game or every fifth game or whatever it might be. But uh, the practical application within a season, <laughs> is, I, I just can't imagine it actually happening. I, sure. You know, maybe maybe two weeks into the season, you know, Yachty started the majority. Kiz has started three games. And you're thinking, all right, well, I can see <laughs> how this works out. But I just, I don't. And it feels like I'm bashing Mike Schilt by saying that. Sure, sure. But like I, I just can't imagine Mike Schilt being the guy who goes to Yachty and says, hey, "Yadi, you're gonna you're gonna sit today." And Yachty being the guy who says, "All right, I'll sit."
0: Yeah. yeah. yeah well, and that's I agree with that. Sorry, Daniel. The um, when that when the blood starts pumping and they need to win that fourth or fifth game, you know who's going to be playing? Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we just know how that and that's that's why he's going to be in the Hall of Fame as well. You know, so it's uh, it's yeah, it's going to be tough to see.
1: And, and I don't disagree with any of that. I will say that I know we've said this before on the show, Alan, but um, I do think maybe the Cardinals have taken a little bit of that power back. Uh, Yachty did not get a two year deal, didn't even get a year and an option. He got a one year deal, which is not what he was looking for. I, you know, it may not be Mike It may have been Mo that said, look, as a, as part of this deal, you're going to, you know, we're going to have to work in Andrew Kisner. Now, again, that that's easier said than done. And that's, we'll see what happens when they actually play. If Andrew Kisner plays three times in April, that's more than Tony Cruz usually did. So, I mean, that's something I guess. And I guess maybe, maybe the best case scenario is that they do kind of have a little bit of a mix to start the season and Kisner takes that opportunity and does something with it. Do you think that he needs a lot of at-bats, or is he going to be able to be a guy that can play once or twice a week at most and still be able to to hit like he would be normally?
2: I don't think any young player is going to be able to hit as consistently or as good as they're capable of in limited starts. I think mm-hmm. what you'll see out of Andrew Kisner are some pretty impressive moments built into a lot of, Uh, frustrating moments. But he's a player that if he's only starting three games out of Mm. every 15 or whatever, out of every 12, we'll just say, he's going to hold his own. But, you know, he's not necessarily going to impress you. Uh, I remember being frustrated watching him at Memphis because they'd have him start like three out of every five games or he'd start four in a row and then sit two. It was was a really weird thing. And it seemed like every time he'd get going – he'd sit a little bit and it'd take him a little bit more time to get going. Now that's not, you know, he's a, he's a super, he's a super professional. He is dedicated. He works hard. He's, he's that echelon. He has high baseball IQ. You know, he checks off all of the intangible boxes. Uh, So that's, you know, that's enough to keep him around for sure. Um, But you know, I I can't imagine it being easy for any young player who still has yet to get rather regular major league at bats to be able to, constantly impressed when not given regular Major League at-bats. You know, I, I just think, say he goes into, like, a, he gets to start two games in a row and he has a couple of good games. Well, will that continue for a third one three days later? It might. Will it continue for a third one three days after that, or for a fourth one three days after that? You know, probably not. I think that's a big ask for any player that hasn't made their way through the league a lot.
1: Yeah, that's that is true. I would what I would expect is as well. But and you're right. I mean, there's no way that I mean barring injury, I can't imagine there's any way that Andrew Kishner plays two days in a row this year. Yeah. I mean, that's I mean I just don't don't think that's gonna happen. I mean one you know, two days a week, maybe, but two days in a back to back, no, that's not gonna happen. And you're right, that's that is hard for a guy like that. Do you think there's a chance then that they get to the, you know, they decide to go with Tyler Heineman and, and let Kisner play a little bit more regularly at Memphis.
2: I don't think it happens right away. I do think that there will, there will be the, uh, my hope is that there will be the organizational mandate, the front office mandate that says Kis comes North with the team and he plays. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how long it lasts. I, I guess that's where, where my thought process is. I, I think more than likely it's engineered so that Kiz is the backup catcher to start the year. He's probably the only catcher, um, you know, other than whatever might resemble a taxi squad if MLB yeah. decided to yeah. really yeah. work yeah. in a taxi squad. But um, I, I would think that the question isn't to start the year unless Kiz is hurt or uh, something like that, or unless he looks terrible in spring, which he isn't going to. Um, I, I, my My thing is, you
0: know, what happens in May. Yeah, that the taxi squad issue. I'm glad you brought it up because that that adds an interesting wrinkle.
2: Yeah, I and I don't. I could be wrong. And again, I've been pretty well away from everything for about three weeks now. But uh, did they have they agreed on a number for a taxi squad? Has that even been mentioned at all? Yeah, five, five. Yeah. If you okay. carry it, but if you carry five, you have to carry at least a catcher. Yeah. Okay, that's. I knew it was something like that. I I couldn't remember what I heard. Mm-hmm. And that's
1: the interesting thing. And I think Alan and I have talked about this before is like, does, what does that mean for Memphis? I mean, if you've got, let's say you've got, uh, you know, Yachty and and Kisner on your active roster, but you've got Heineman on your taxi squad. Does that mean you have to have two more catchers at Memphis for when they're on the road? Does Heineman then goes to Memphis when Cardinals are at home? And I mean, is there's always going to be this, the shifting between, you know, double A AA and triple A for a guy. I, I don't know. I don't know how this works. I don't know if anybody knows how this works.
2: Yeah. And that's weird in and of itself with, you know, a potential triple A season starting on April 6th and then a potential double mm-hmm. A season starting on May 4th. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I say potential, the schedules were announced, but I think the one caveat that gets lost in that is Manfred has until like, I think May or March 15th to decide if they want to push back the triple A season. So even, mm-hmm. even yeah, even as they, they do all this, um, there's a chance that that could still be pushed back. And I wouldn't be surprised if that ends up being what if that ends up uh, the, the finality of the situation where it ends up getting pushed back. The AAA season ends up getting pushed back to May for these very reasons that you're bringing up.
1: And then I guess that would just mean that all those kind of players would just hang out in extended spring training for a month or so. Because, I mean, I guess that's kind of what we're going to see out of the guys from AA and, and down as well. They got to go somewhere for that that month. And if there's not a team going on, I guess it's expended
2: train training and hanging around Jupiter a lot. Yeah, that's an interesting thing, too. Just thinking about other than the players who are at Major League camp, like there's going to be no one in Jupiter and mm-hmm. no one can go there until all of the Major League players are away from there. So how uh, it's just a fascinating scheduling nightmare that I imagine every front office is having to deal with. Uh, and then the planning aspect that comes afterwards and how to get guys ready for whatever season is about ready to happen. It just, it still seems like such it's, you know, with everything starting with spring training, starting people coming to camp, everything still to me, well, you know, on your fingertips still feels far away.
1: Yeah. And I think we, you know, they proved last year, you know, a lot of that stuff didn't get decided until the last minute, you know, um, Expanded, roster, expanded playoffs didn't happen until the very first day of this, the the new season and stuff yeah. like that. And you know, with the virus still out there, it would seem to me that there's still a few things. As much as they want to plan and write things down right now, there's still a few things that could you know get some curveballs thrown at it. I agree. The only the other thing. I think that is excited people. And it's really kind of interesting to some degree that the most talked about Nolan in camp this week has been Nolan Gorman
2: Yeah,
1: um, because of the idea of, of moving him to second base. Um, you know, we all are all have been excited about what his back can bring, but you know, that's a shift. Is, is that a shift up the defensive spectrum? I can't remember exactly, but it still seems to me that, playing third base and playing second base are kind of two different things. When
2: uh, when Nolan was drafted, everyone seemed to think that if he stuck at third, it would only be for a short period of time, mm-hmm. and that his ultimate destination would be in a corner outfield or first base. And uh, by the time the end of the 2019 season rolled around, he he was going to stick at third base for for many, many years. And, and I bring this up as the preface to Nolan Gorman because, you know, he, he doesn't have quick feet. Which is an you know potential issue at second base. Like I would say, his footwork is his main issue at third base. Uh, but he's more athletic than he's given credit for for being the big body that he is. And what brought him to being a fringe third baseman to what I would consider to be a standard or you know average ish to potentially above league average third baseman at the minor league level is his work ethic. And we're definitely seeing that, and it's definitely the narrative. Uh, that is being pushed, and reasonably so, because it deserves to be pushed in this particular instance. So, um, you know, a lot of people have asked, "Is is he going to stick at second? Is this something that's realistic?" And I, I think, because of his work ethic and his intangibles, that it definitely is. Absolutely. Um, we'll have to wait and see how that all goes. I, I, I personally, I think that the more pressing issue is in the outfield, and I would have loved to have seen him start working out in left or even right because he has a really strong arm that would work out really well in right field. But um, I I do have my questions about how it'll work out at second. I just think that he, you know, just like we talked about with Andrew Kisner very briefly, he's just one of those guys who has all of those other intangibles along with the work ethic. Um, Another thing about Nolan Gorman and he and Matthew Libertor is they both have embraced data um, over the last couple off seasons and all of these things just point to someone who I think, you know, 10 years ago, this type of prospect never would have been able to make it at second, but in this day and age, uh, with these types of kids, I could definitely see it, it working out if if not for a long period of time for a short period of time. Is it a little bit,
1: I mean, we hope at least I hope that it's not coming, but it most likely is that the dh is coming to the national league after the next collective bargaining agreement is the fact that they're shifting him to second base when there could be that opportunity to get his bat in the lineup in 2022 or 20 or going forward is that an indication they think he might make it this year
2: i think him being oh i do i do think that there it is an indication i just think him being around at camp and uh how they've talked about him this off season and his time in Springfield last year at the satellite camp was an indication that it's something that they'd be interested in seeing if the opportunity presented itself, if all the cards uh, fell properly, if all the chips fell properly. I think what I, what I'm curious to know is how much of it is Nolan Gorman pushing that, you know, knowing that his future might not be at third base and how much of it is the organization shifting him to second? Because, you know, I, I'm kind of under the impression, and I, I might be just pulling this out of a hat, but I'm under the impression that this is more Nolan Gorman saying, look, this is my best chance to make the major league club. I want to commit to second right now, um, as opposed to maybe the organization saying, we'll get you some time all over the place and we'll see how it works out. I, I think this yeah. is, like to me, it just seems more like Nolan Gorman taking the reins and the organization saying, hey, look, if, you, if this is what you want to do, We'll, we'll try to make it work in spring and see where we go from there. But, uh, you know, to your initial question, your initial point, I think in an ideal world uh, for the 2021 season, well, I think in an ideal world they won't want Matt Carpenter and Tommy Edmond to be a perfect second base, whatever happens there, or slash left fielder. Um, but if, if Gorman pushes the issue, I think that they would be open and receptive to getting him to the major league level. And I also think that that's going, to be ha- that's going to be the truth with Zach Thompson and Matthew Libertor, too.
1: Well, and I wanted to talk about Zach Thompson a little bit, um, because that was another story that came out today. And it has less to do specifically with him, but the fact that they assigned Daryl Kyle's 57 to Zach Thompson this year for the first time since the passing of Daryl Kyle. Um, and Alan gonna because you have been kind of monopolizing what were your thoughts
0: when you heard that they were going to
1: issue fifty-seven
0: out again? It it didn't bother me. I didn't. Uh, a buddy of mine texted me and he said he was like, "What is it?" He was. I'm really opposed to this. And I, I said, you know, I, I don't know why the numbers don't have never really meant that much to me. Even in even in a situation like that, and even with retired numbers that mean so much to the organization, it didn't bother me as much. I will tell you. I don't think this goes to anybody that they don't think is close. Mm-hmm. That was my first. I thought this probably this this doesn't the next. Let's put it this way: between Thompson and Libertor, the next guy that get the next pitcher their age is going to get a number in the seventies, if that means anything. They
1: they can take seventy. It's fine. Um, ha. It's, you know, Tyler Lyons isn't using it anymore. Um, Kyle, I think I think Alan's right there, though. Right? I mean, they it's not even that it's a close, it's gotta be the right person to take 57. And they see something in, in Zach Thompson that that gives him, you know, both talent and personality that seems to go with that number.
2: I know that last year, Zach Thompson left a hell of an impression at spring training. Um, just his work ethic and how uh, inquisitive he was. I, I, You know, I had heard somebody say that it reminded them of how Wayno was when, what you know, in 2004, 2013, 2014, you know, uh, all the way back, like it reminded them of that, and and his ability to retain information and apply information, along with his craftiness. I, I think, I think it's an unusual. Uh, I think it's surprising, especially this this time when you actually have maybe a couple numbers that are open. Uh, mm. I'm not. I'm, I'm with Alan in that. I just. I really don't care about numbers. I. I only care about jerseys when I feel like I can poke the bear a little bit, like with those <laughs> victory blue jerseys. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, so I, I really don't care that much. I. I do think with it being the first time, uh, the first person, it is definitely. It's a story worth writing and a story worth reading, and uh, you know, to, to the point that, that both of you guys make, it's. Uh, it says a lot about the person Zach Thompson is and the precedent that's being set moving forward.
1: Yeah. I mean, we have seen sadly over the last two decades, a lot of death um, from the Cardinals, but they didn't have a whole lot of hesitation um, putting Josh Hancock's uh, 32 back into circulation. Um, You know, obviously It's a little different with Tavares because Carlos Martinez requested that. um, But I don't think they would have waited this long to give that number out either. Um, If they weren't going to retire it, and I don't think that they should, and it doesn't fit their qualifications for actual retirement, yeah, at some point it needs to get back into circulation and, you know, you can be careful and maybe it's one of those things that, you know, it's always going to have that – cachet with it, that idea of, you know, if you're wearing 57, you know, it's not going to be the 26th man on the roster. It's not going to get 57. I mean, no. it's going to be somebody that's important to either the future of the organization, the current organization. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that as long as they did it right and that seems like they have, you know, not just tossing it out there for anybody, I, you know, you're right. The Cardinals are fortunate just kind of like the Yankees is, is that the, a lot of those lower numbers are getting, you know, put away forever because they've had so many great players um and like like alan said at some point in time you've got to get you know get some of those back into circulation it is a little bit surprising what i think i saw 15 and 16 are both available now um so it's a little bit surprising they didn't go with one of those
2: yeah even that there's there's even numbers higher right aren't there still numbers in like the 80s and 90s available
1: yeah yeah there's some of those too um I, i you know and I don't know if they tend not to want to give those, you know, they give them out in spring training. But like you say, I think that's an indication. Also, like you were saying, there's a a non-zero chance that that Zach Thompson joins the club at the end of spring training. I don't think it's probable, but I think it's got a, it's in the mix.
0: What do you think about that, Alan? I know I, I I would be surprised at the uh, At the beginning of the season, but I fully expect it throughout the season. Um, You know, Mark Saxon tells the story of um, they called him last year and told him to get to St. Louis pronto, and um, and he packed his bags thinking he had made the team, but it was only to the practice squad. And was disappointed when he got there. He had that he was he felt they were that impressed with him throughout the spring that he was making the big club. Probably tells you a lot of his mindset. That's uh, which is a good thing. But, yeah, I completely expect them to be there. I, I, There's something that tells me they may move these guys quickly this year after what they went through last year, and I'm not really sure what it is.
2: Yeah, pitchers specifically. That's my thought. I mean,
0: um,
1: yeah, I think that's, that's fair. Uh, let's shift a little bit then and talk about the prospect side of things, and Kyle, I know.
2: And also, we apologize real quick if the uh, the audio dropped out after we started talking <laughs> about Mark Saxon. We we just- <laughs> that, that seems to happen every time I'm on with you guys, and I just yeah. apologize now.
0: For- I just about made up a name. It's from yeah. such and yeah. such. Here, <laughs>
1: just to make sure I, I did watch to see if any we had any fluctuations uh, when that came out. But it's so far so good. Knock on wood. Sorry. Um, let's talk a little bit about about the prospects. And again, I know, you know, net last year was, you know, the, the worst possible. We knew last year was going to be kind of a rough year for the minor leagues just in general, because of what the negotiations were with major league baseball and all that kind of stuff. But nobody expected there not to be a season at all. Have you heard what kind of data they collected at the Springfield camp? Um, You know, the little bits we hear in there, it sounds like they got, some data that was good um, for them, but um, you know I don't know how much they can factor that into the decisions they make this year.
2: The only thing I've heard is that all the data was good, uh, <laughs> and it's funny that seemed to be what every major league organization said. All the yeah. data coming from there was good, but everything was measured, um, and from what I understand, everything was measured using the, the the Hawkeye system, which is what the major leaguers use at their stadium. So uh all the data seems to be uh positive correlated and processed and it all sounded positive uh you know there were a bunch of guys at the satellite camp that also dealt with covid and also dealt with uh covid symptoms following contracting it and uh also some some other minor injuries here or there from what i understand and you know that was reflected in the data, from what I understand there too. But yeah, I'll, I've heard nothing but nothing but positives from from that spring
0: field camp. Did you have a finger on the pulse at all throughout the season on it, or was Honest, it honestly a lot of hearsay? I mean, yeah, I, I don't. That's I didn't know if any reports had been out, and you know, Brendan Schaefer <laughs> was on last week, and he made the comment. He goes, "It's tough to find anything out about it because Schilt didn't even know, and that's who we talked to."
2: It's uh and I was like, yeah that makes sense. the the nature of writing about prospects is that, uh, in this day and age with social media, whether it be players or parents, especially someone like me who just kind of talks and has open DMs and just wants to try to give uh, as straightforward well, not straightforward because I mean I ramble, but uh, who who, <laughs> who just tries to give like an unbiased opinion. I get a lot of DMs from players and players' families about things that I've written or things that I've said. And I mean, the information that I received, you know, might be from a player or two, might be from a family member of a player, uh, might be from, uh, you know, something like some, something like that without getting too much in depth. And, uh, so again, all the information that you're hearing is, is completely hearsay and it's, it's tough. I, I do think all of that information, all of that data was shared from, uh, system to system, which is really interesting too. And I, I'm still kind of surprised that, you know, I'm still kind of surprised at how inaccessible it was and how at the same time it was very accessible for a lot of other organizations. Uh, but it's not really the Cardinals way to be uh, accessible in that way. So I, I guess it makes sense. But no, look, uh, Alan, it was not, it's not easy getting any of that information and the information that I've, I feel like I've received from it I you know I feel like I have a 60% belief in all of it wow
1: yeah I you know you're right I think I've heard it turned as a black hole to some degree um, yeah. just because nothing really escaped from there I mean, we didn't even hear you know, didn't, I mean we heard no stories about injuries we heard no stories about anything of that nature and granted they weren't necessarily playing full games or anything of that like that but it's still surprising that you know something didn't come out from all that, and oh. it really didn't, uh, which probably is exactly what the Cardinals wanted. So, you know, that's yeah. <laughs> what they get. Um, given what we what that camp was like, though, I have heard some people say that people like well, like Gorman, like Libertor, like uh, Thompson, um, but probably more especially people like uh, George Walker, you know, the, the early draft picks. May have gotten better um, at bats better plate appearances in general because they were facing better competition they're facing people that were gonna be in the major leagues or half of those people were in the major leagues after you know after a virus hit or you know people that are least at uh, upper triple a that they might not have
2: seen during the season is do you do you buy into any of that uh, I definitely get that perspective yeah for sure for sure especially if uh you know, most of the young kids that were there, we'll just say that t- we'll we'll specifically highlight Mason Wynn and Jordan Walker. You know, the, the 2020 draft picks. Most of those guys, those two guys in particular, are high character, um, high character guys. Like they're they're very intelligent kids, and they're not the kind of people that are going to go into that camp and a be like overly cocky to be set themselves up for failure, both uh, like uh, emotionally and uh, on the diamond. So I would say that for those particular types of players that, yeah, for sure. I I definitely understand that. And it probably was beneficial for them to just be around, you know, in that setting to see what it's like to get those at bats, to see what major league pitching is like. Uh, But, you know, I'm a firm believer that uh, you take each person takes something different out of these things. And, if you're a low A player, and there weren't many of them, so I, I guess I guess by and large, but if you're a low A player who's never seen it and all you're doing is getting beat up at Springfield, that probably puts you back a little bit. But you know, by and large, the, the very nature of the players that they kept uh, down at the satellite camp kind of excluded a lot of those players that might have been um, exposed otherwise. So yeah, I could see it.
0: Were you
1: surprised, and I don't have the list in front of me you probably remember better than i but were you surprised at anybody that didn't go to that camp that you thought probably would have or
2: should have man i don't even remember honestly i it seems that's fair at this point it seems so far so far ago i i I do remember leading into the announcement of who was going to be at camp like making out a a mock list and you know when you get down the list you, you end up with like you know out of those last five spots you end up with 20 guys you kind of be like oh, I can see this guy or this guy or this guy or this guy but there wasn't anybody that I was I was or wasn't surprised with I I do wonder sometimes if the Cardinals could do it all over thinking that like knowing that they were going to go through COVID and the COVID protocols if they would have changed who they brought you know maybe excluded yeah. some of those younger further away kids like Mason Wynn or Jordan Walker and. Maybe brought a couple extra arms that were closer to the major league level just to protect themselves. Like I wonder about that. Um, not to discredit the you know the 2020 draft picks or the teenage kids in the system. I just I wonder if how many people they went through and the situation that they went through would have changed how they would have staggered that roster. But uh, no, no. I mean there you know there might have been one or two names, but nobody that I was like oh that's egregious they weren't there. Mm-hmm.
1: I've pulled up the Dirty 35, which, oh again, you know, is, one, it's an it's, it's amazing piece of work um, when you can do it. But, you know, I, I think about that like I think about stuff like the Baseball Prospectus Annual that I'm currently reading. It's like, you know, for that, how much can you do with 60 games? How much do you do when you don't have any games? Is your list changed much except for the fact that, you know, like Dylan Carlson comes off of it? and Elias Montero is, is out of the system now. Does it really change much because there wasn't that season or you just kind of
2: shifted everybody up? The only way it changes, I you know, for, for like the publication aspect, everybody just will end up shifting up. Mm-hmm. But if I decide to redo the Dirty 35, I'm going to uh, – the only way that you could possibly do it is to take the bias out of it because I try my hardest to be as unbiased as possible. And so, the, I, you know, to – contradict what I just said to clarify what I just said would be to the the only way that I would be able to do it and change it is if I put my own personal biases in there and I feel like that's the only way that I'd be able to proceed with a pre-2021 dirty 35 is if I was just like all right bottom line these are my guys like uh for instance again if I when I say you know I move Nolan Gorman from what is now like the number one prospect down to like number four you know, people might view that as panning him or whatever, or uh, uh, diminishing his talents or his abilities. Mm -hmm. Um, But for me, I I feel like I've learned lessons from Tyler O'Neill's prospect status that I would now apply to Nolan Gorman. Mm -hmm. um, And there are other prospects in the organization that I personally just like better than Nolan Gorman. So that would be the one area where I would augment the Dirty 35 if I end up doing it in that way. And I would end up giving my my top 35 favorite prospects um and they would probably be engineered to the guys that i feel most confident will make a major league debut uh and then the varying levels of success at the major leagues would be how i would i would stagger it if that makes sense
1: yeah and that's and i, I really find that interesting because i hadn't thought about it, and I should have, but the idea of watching a guy like Tyler O'Neill he'll come up through the system and know how he developed and know what you expected for him, then to see what he actually did, to take those lessons in and apply them to, to people coming up with a similar profile, um, how, I mean, that's got I mean, that's a very interesting and very smart way to do
2: it. Um, but how how easy is that to do? It's not easy. You know, most people when when we talk about Tyler O'Neill, it seems like most people will go to Randall Grichik first,
0: mm-hmm.
2: or you know with Harrison Bader they'll go to Peter Borges, um, but it, it's it's never really that easy because what you're doing is you're talking about uh, you're not taking in necessarily what they did at the minor league level, and that's why I always I always highlight Tyler O'Neill when I talk about Randall Grichik or vice versa because as easy as it is to make that professional comp, those guys were not similar at all at the minor league level. Um, as a matter of fact, there's an argument to be made that Nolan Gorman is more like Randall Gritchick at the minor league level than he was than, than he was Tyler O'Neill. And what Tyler O'Neill was capable of doing is what we started to see glimpses of in 2020, where he's walking more and striking out less. And by less, we're talking about 20% of the time. By walking, we're talking about 8% of the time, 10% of the time, something like that. But uh, you know, they're two different hitters with two different hitting profiles, and but you know that being said when when you're a high strikeout prospect you're putting yourself in a you're already putting yourself in a hole and that's something that I'm starting to adapt to uh, maybe something I should have done years ago but you know when you talk about a kid who struck out 30 percent of the time 36 percent whatever it was uh, mm-hmm. you know even at even at, for a teenager and an advanced level that's still striking and the you know the WRC plus is beautiful but I feel like You have to see the whole picture. You know, uh, Harrison Bader's WRC plus in 2020 at the major league level was beautiful, 113 or 112 or whatever it was. But we know that it's more complicated than just looking at the WRC plus number at the league. And again, I'm happy for a kid, a teenager who's able to hold his own and be that much better than league average, especially in a pitcher league, uh, but especially at an advanced A-level league. Um, Of course, now it's worth prefacing, worth saying that Palm Beach is now the low A and Peoria is the high A. That's one of the things that have changed at the uh, cool. minor league level. But um, anyways, that's all just to say that like you do have to, like, you have to see the whole picture sometimes, and it's easy to see the
0: picture in the vacuum. It's funny how you connect the dots on those guys, because wasn't it the loud bat that got – I mean, position-wise will play more of a factor with Gorman, but the loud bat is why it got Grichik to St. Louis, correct?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the athleticism – you know, between the loud bat and the athleticism, um, the athleticism. You know, I again, Randall Grichik is an athlete, and maybe we didn't get to see it as much because, for whatever reason. But yeah, no, that those are the two things specifically. Um.
1: So, if if you're sliding Gorman down, which I know, again, you're still in the process of all this. I'm not. Telling you to lock yeah. down at number one or number two now, but
2: <laughs> you, you know,
1: but lock down your number one and number two.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: you yeah. know, it's funny
2: when the Cardinals drafted Zach Thompson, um, I, I would have rather they had drafted George Kirby out of Elon. And I, mm. you know, I, I remember I think my first tweet on draft night, I was at the Blues game at the time. And I wanted to respond to everyone who was asking questions. I wanted to watch the draft. And, the, you know, my the first thing that I said was, I understand this move. I think it's a great draft pick, but it's not my draft pick. Mm-hmm. And I never meant that to diminish Zach Thompson exactly. I just, I really love George Kirby. And in the grand scheme of things, the Seattle right-hander, because he, he was drafted by the Mariners, I still like George Kirby better than I like Zach Thompson. But if Zach Thompson is healthy, then you're talking about the, floor of a middle – I mean, legitimately the floor of a middle rotation Major League starter. Uh, Of course, the health is the issue. But that that kid that we saw at spring training last year, that's a professional pitcher. That's better than I think I've ever seen Dakota Hudson look. And, you know, Dakota Hudson has batted ball luck because of what he's able to do with batted balls. But, like, I was more impressed with Zach Thompson than I was at any point with Dakota Hudson. And uh, that's something special. That's Mm. a guy – probably should be getting more top 100 consideration than he's getting, but he also shouldn't be getting it because of the injury history uh, and the injuries that still continue to plague him that followed him through Springfield last year. So honestly, uh, and and I wrote about it in, you know, uh, wrapping up the Dirty 35 last year, but he, when I think about the top five prospects in the Cardinals organization, and I think that Dylan Carlson was still a part of this, but uh, we'll, we'll key in on the big four, which is Gorman, Libertor, Thompson, and Herrera. They really could go in any specific or particular order. It doesn't. It doesn't really matter. But for me, like I view, I look at all three of those things, and the most sure bet of the three, if healthy, is Zach Thompson, and it's not even close, in my opinion. So, if I were doing it, Zach Thompson would be my number one. And then, one thing that I've come to respect more than I ever thought I would is just how difficult it is to be a a, a major league below average catcher. And because of that, like, I think, I think Avon Herrera is going to be more than just a below average major league catcher, but to even be a below average major league catcher is very, very difficult. And I really think that I would put them one and two with liberator four and then Gorman or uh, a liberator three with Gorman four. Um, you know and if i were to do it it's just so hard for me to even evaluate the draft picks Other, you know the high school draft picks hence win and walker because what do you what can i even say or do there like, I, I like them all but you're talking about kids who missed a good portion of their final high school season and then haven't pitched competitively since so uh but yeah like the that's that's probably how i would do it in some variation of that um it, you know, to me – and again, Matthew Libertor has worked tirelessly with the help of, of every uh, viewable data, every type of advanced technology to continue to work on the development of all of his pitches, including the fastball, which is my biggest concern with him because I think his fastball is vulnerable. Um, but I still would take Libertor over Gorman if given the chance.
1: Another name that was in the 30-35 last year, that – surprisingly probably won't be this year because of the fact he got to play one of Juan Oviedo um Johan Oviedo yeah sorry um what did you see from him last year was it kind of what you expected for the fact that he was making such a jump
2: absolutely absolutely i uh i will say that i expected him to get hit a little harder than he did but what we saw specifically at Springfield last year, because or in 2019, because the first five or six starts were at Palm Beach, but what we saw specifically at Springfield is a guy who has just, I mean, his stuff is nasty. That four, quote-unquote four-seam fastball that has cutter movement on it, that's legit. I mean, that's a nasty, nasty pitch with some very good secondary stuff, but he just doesn't command it well enough, and it's not as like lively as Alex Reyes, so he can't necessarily get away with not having complete command of it. Uh, but yeah, like I, I thought that we'd see something similar. I, I thought if in limited innings he might be able to come in and just wow people. Um, there was always that chance. But you know, I definitely remember thinking, watching him pitch, that all right, this is exactly what we saw at Springfield. Uh, so, uh, sometimes he just looks electric, and he looks like he's in complete control. And other times he doesn't. I remember there's been starts where he'll he'll throw twenty to thirty pitches in an inning. You know, sometimes it's mm-hmm. early in the start, sometimes it's late in the start, but that's like. I don't want to say that's standard, but, you know, that'll happen one in every two and a half games. Uh, something like that would be my guess. And that happened at the minor league level. And I feel like that's what we saw with the Cardinals last year.
1: Yeah. It always seemed like he had one, one bad inning. Um, from what I saw of him, but yeah, he would walk or whatever like that and mm-hmm. and everything else was fine. So um, it was pretty, pretty interesting to see him make that kind of jump.
0: Before we, before we get too long, is it safe to assume that Oviedo or Woodford will probably be that Memphis six starter? Uh,
2: you know, I, I it's probably safe
0: to assume.
2: But, man, they've got a lot of pitchers who are right there, don't they? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. They, even even as we talk about uh, the potential of, like, Zach Thompson breaking with the Major League Club or even Matthew Libertor, like, boy, they – and I guess separating the starters from the relievers, but you talk about the relievers that they have, you know, Jose, Jose, or, uh, uh, you know, uh, Junior Fernandez, like he can be good, but he's also can be terrible. Like mm-hmm. what the pitching is just, it's kind of flummoxing. So if you're, if you're looking at the, the roster, I would suggest that those are the two, maybe on hell Rondon, depending on what kind of spring. Camp that was would have been, yeah, I was going to bring that up too. But uh, yeah, I, I guess there's, I mean, is uh, without knowing who's even out of options, is there a chance that that could be Alex Reyes? Is he out of options? I mean, who do, do, does anyone know anymore? <laughs> <laughs>
0: there is a lot of mystery with that right now. Yeah, uh,
1: let's see. I'll pull up roster resource real quick and see. That's usually where I go to see who's got options left.
0: Yes. Um.
1: But no, two, he Alex Reyes here. has two options left. Okay,
2: that, I figured he. Yeah. But uh, Uh, I I think if you're banking, you would say Oviedo and and Woodford would be those guys, especially with, you know, you're not going to find an easy spot
0: for either of those guys in the bullpen. Yeah, that's where I thought that those would be the obvious choices for that very reason, that uh, you could use the excuse of just stretching them out and having them ready, because you're probably going to have seven or eight guys that could start on the big league team. And that'd be some piggyback situations. I would think that would be with with Ponce and, and Reyes, but yeah, you know, that's that's just me.
2: <laughs> in twenty nineteen, you know they they had stretched out Roel Ramirez to be a starter too. Oh so wow! If they ever if they ever wanted to get kind of cute with that, they could always go in that direction too. Crazy. I am
1: sure Ramirez crazy, would like crazy. to have another shot at the the big leagues. Uh, his yeah. First one, not so not so great. Alan, you said you had a few uh, names you wanted to throw at Kyle.
0: Yeah, I th- I'll. Uh, we'll see how long these conversations take us, and I'll start with just a few of them, but I've got a list. <laughs> Excited to hear, and is, is that's not going to encroach when you're 35 or anything, is it?
2: I don't even, at this point, we're not even sure if we're doing it. So okay, okay. Roll with it.
0: Well, cool. Delvin Perez. Uh, you know, I would suggest, now,
2: one thing that we saw, he posted on Instagram that he's actually gotten bigger. He's put on muscle, and, and a decent amount for somebody as, as frail as he was. So uh, you know there were a lot of positives in the second half of 2019 for him, you know not a ton, but there were some positives. That none of it was slugging, but some positives nonetheless. <laughs> and I would think that uh, you know again that's a tough one because when I say he'll start the season at Peoria, uh, you know it's getting your mind lined, uh, your mind aligned that Peoria is now high A. It's not mm-hmm. yeah. you know, single A. So he'll go. You know, there's always a chance that he's going to go back to Peoria. Uh, but get a promotion in the process. So good luck trying to figure that out. But uh, I-, I think that that'd be the great a great starting spot for him. He's still young, you know. He's still, I mean, 21, 22. And uh, nothing's wrong with starting him at a place he's familiar with and giving him a chance to get
0: to Springfield um, at the end of the, you know, midway through the year or at the end yeah. of the year. I'd love for that to happen. I'd love to catch you. That's kind of what I was hoping. So what about Connor Capel?
2: Ah. Uh, you know, thinking about the outfield depth in the organization, in my mind, the five outfielders that'll come with the big club are Justin Williams, Lane Thomas, and then Bader Carlson and O'Neill. Uh, I don't know what that means for Austin Dean. I know he's out of options. He would have to clear waivers and all that. But I think that it makes a lot of sense that uh, the starting outfield at Memphis would have some combination of both Justin Turner and Connor Cable. Um, Interesting. But, yeah, we'll have to wait and see how that all goes. I I don't I actually think, Dean
1: I, has two options
2: left. Oh, does he really?
1: Yeah, it's one of the reasons I traded for him, I think, last oh. year, because he had still had some options. And this, according to Roster Resource, he still has two. Cool.
2: Yeah, they know better than I do, for sure. But, uh, yeah, that's something Send Austin Dean on down, and then something like that. Uh, I could definitely see, see that working. I, the thing about guys like Capel is, you know, not to say they're older, because I think Capel's only, like, 23 or 24 still at this point. But these are the kind of guys, now that you have condensed minor leagues, where you've eliminated two leagues, where it's like, all right, see what they're made of. And if they're not made of it at this point, then you just keep moving on because you still have a roster crunch at the low levels because you didn't, you know,
0: uh, release 50 people. Yeah. You know, he was double a good last year. I mean, I saw him through Tulsa several times and he, he was probably their best bat not named Carlson.
2: He's an interesting guy. He's interesting because if you watch him a lot, like the more I watch him, the less I like him. But uh, he, he shows signs of, like, serious pop. And Man, he also, yeah. he, just like with Justin Turner, they're both really, really good defensive outfielders. And it looks like he's a real five
1: guy this year, too. So uh, he, that puts an extra little bit of pressure on him to to have a
0: good year. What about Juan Pez?
2: I think, you know, another guy who he's been in the Cardinals organization forever since being mm-hmm. traded for Matt Adams. And, I think that there's reason, but he's, you know, he's still young. He's still only like 22 or 23, even though, you know, the Cardinals traded for him when he was like 18 or 19. But uh, he, he, you know, entering 2019, he did a lot to get his body in better shape um, and started showing some pretty good bat-to-ball skills along with power off the bat. And he's another guy who is kind of a utility role. He was traded for as a third baseman. Moved to first, pretty much. He was a terrible third baseman, and then <laughs> sp- spent a little time out in the outfield. Uh, you talk about a hard working hard worker in the organization. That's a guy who uh, Juan Yepes is a guy who like worked in the offseason to get his degree. I think it like sport management or something like that. Um, you know, English is his second language, wow. and uh, he, you know, it, it's. I don't think it's any surprise that once he got his degree, he got in better shape and he started. Um, mashing a little bit and you know that he's not focused on school as much and can focus on his job. So, uh, you know, for me, again, these are guys that I want, I'd like to see the Cardinals get aggressive with, you know, there's a, we don't know what the year is going to look like. We don't know what a lot of these guys, what kind of steps they've made, whether it be forward or backwards after missing an entire minor league season in 2020. So I, I say, get aggressive with them. You know, some of these fringy guys who might only have had, you know, between 50 and, 250 at bats at A, you know, if they're, unless they're like 20, 21, 22, you know, and if they're high school drafted kids, uh, you know, maybe you get a little bit, a little bit less aggressive, but, you know, I, I think some of the international kids and some of the collegiate age kids, there's no reason to not push them. You know, Scott Hurst being another outfielder like Scott Hurst has been nothing but injured and struggle. So why not push him to AAA? What's the worst that could happen? You have to send him back to Springfield. Uh, you know, Oh, well, get aggressive there's no reason to not be aggressive now
0: yeah and it's 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 interesting with the roster crunch well i kind of looked at some of the infielders before i i picked some names of i feel like mendoza's going back to to memphis regardless that's why i didn't ask it ask about him because at one point i thought you were going to get blocked at at the corner from either gorman at the top and at the bottom jordan walker (laughs) And I kind of wanted to fill in between there to see where the where the pieces fell after that, you know, and who would be at each level. And you know, Gorman potentially moving positions that that opens up a lot of things. I mean, even as we sit here and talk, would you be surprised if Gorman was the opening day shortstop at Springfield? Uh, well, that's I said it on pad last week. That's what I want. I yeah, I, it wouldn't surprise from,
2: me if yeah. you're going to start moving them around. Start it short, and I guess. It's all about where he feels comfortable. You know, you want him to feel comfortable in whatever position he's playing. But why not? Why not get him reps at short in spring training? What do you have to lose from that? Mm -hmm. You know, and more importantly, you have what will probably be a great teacher for that. And Paul DeYoung right there, who's an an educated and articulate young man to probably answer any questions and instruct in a way that he's probably not going to get from any other player. So I, I'm right there with you. I want to say about Evan Mendoza real fast, real fast about Evan
0: Mendoza. Yeah, okay, good.
2: The rumor is that he was one of the more impressive shortstops in the Caribbean World Se- the Caribbean wow. Series. So that's something worth keeping an eye on, too. I just wanted to throw that out there. No, that's
0: interesting. That's incredibly interesting. I can't, you know. <laughs> hey, you know what? That's a great point you had about DeYoung because th- think of the parallels that his bat made him a shortstop. Yeah. You know, that's pretty interesting. The other thing about young that people forget is, you know, he hadn't played second base in his entire
2: life. And the Cardinals move him from third to (laughs) fourth. And he gets he gets called up in Colorado and he plays like his first two weeks as a second baseman. And you wouldn't have known any of the wiser. Like he's that's a smart kid. That's a kid who could probably coach baseball for his entire
0: life. That's crazy. I love young. The uh, what about Griffin Roberts? I don't know. Cranks. I honestly
2: don't know what to think about the Griffin Roberts situation. That's, that. uh, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, he's he's the type of guy who you know he and he and Montero were probably the two guys at the top of the list who suffer the most from having a bad or a, a non-existent 2020 minor league season. Uh, there were times, especially with Griffin Roberts, like you know, at, at the Arizona Fall League, he showed command, a command that he had never shown in 2019 after coming off the the, the cannabis suspension. And so for him to come into the AFL and be pretty good uh, command wise, but his, his velocity was down. And then you go into spring training and he has some spotty starts, uh, some spotty appearances, not spotty starts. But spring training in 2020, he had some spotty appearances, but that slider looked like it was going to play. And then the season gets shut down and he's a year older now and probably under the gun a little bit more. So, you know, I don't know what to expect out of him. I don't know what to think. I've, You know, I'm sure that the data is positive. The thing about being a, a Wake Forest righty is Wake Forest is on the the cutting edge of, um, you know, electronics, uh, of pitcher data in all of college sports. So, you know, as long as he's around there, I'm sure he was getting the best tips and the best instructions. And I'm sure he was going back. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful for him. And he could be a guy who we could either... Be a name we are not even talking about in a year could very well be on the cusp of a major league debut. It, Montero is interesting too. I was thinking about Montero a lot, especially with Montero being traded. Uh, just a, you know, an interjection there, like he, I think about him at spring last year. So in 2019, Aliris Montero, uh, you know, breaks the hammock and. He's all messed up, and then he comes back and he presses at the plate. He's a completely different hitter from an approach standpoint at Springfield in 2019 than he was in the Midwest League or even at High A in 2018. And then I remember him at spring last year. You know, he had gotten his body into into better shape. He was uh, he was a monster. He was a muscular monster. And he I remember him fielding ground balls at third and like winding up to throw his absolutely hard. <laughs> just to try to impress. And I, I, I often wonder now, like thinking about his time specifically in 2019, when he was trying to claw his way back at Springfield and trying to impress and the struggle he had at the Arizona fall league and trying to impress. And then thinking about those plays that I saw at spring training l- last season before COVID shut it down. And I just wonder like when that kid feels comfortable, if he ever allows himself to feel comfortable, like that's a di- that's a dynamic player and I hope that he finds that uh, not just for the Colorado Rocky standpoint, but for his standpoint, I, you know, I don't wish any of those kids a uh, bad luck going to Colorado.
1: Well, and that transitions me because I did want to ask what you, we've talked so much about Arnato and coming in and um, you know, how much that affects the Cardinals, but what did you think about the package that left? I mean, you know, these guys, I mean, all of us have seen Austin Gomber, but for the rest of them Montero. Gil, Loki, Osi. Um What were what were you thinking about losing those guys?
2: I uh, my thought is even if they would have lost Gorman and Libertor, I would have been fine with it. Sometimes I think what ends up happening is we get caught and we forget uh, about like the dire needs at times of trades. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes like you have to do dramatic things to make a dramatic improvement. So uh, I would have been fine if they would have traded those guys for Nolan Arnato and uh, that they didn't is definitely a huge positive. I, I, I hear things like the trade of the century, and I don't know if it's necessarily that. You know, I, I, I think, I think that on paper, at the time of the trade, I would understand why the national audience would feel that way, and I understand a lot of it comes down to what happens with Montero and his success. But, you know, in my mind, Austin Gomber is at, is something similar to like. And I, I've been thinking about it a lot. The, the one thing that the Rockies have had success pitching-wise is like that type of left-handed pitcher, as crazy as that is, right? Because isn't that what Jorge De La Rosa was? Yeah. And, uh, um, oh, God, Ty, Tyler uh, Tyler Johnson, is that who it was? Kyle Freeland? Like, that's the guy who's actually had success there. And sure, he's gonna that curveball's probably going to go flat, which is a disaster. But at least he has the slider and the fastball all coming from the same release point to match it. Uh, you know you're not he's not gonna be a sub three guy he's probably not going to be a sub four guy but between four and 450 pitching for the rockies i could see that being a realistic option for him and him being a very valuable resource for them uh you know uh, matteo Gill's really interesting uh again if, if you're talking about scouting reports that are available to the vast majority of the public you would hear about an, uh, a slow-footed third baseman who hits kind of lightly but that's not getting the 2019 information, which was a kid who had solidified himself as a true shortstop. Uh, Again, an average shortstop, probably nothing more than, uh, you know, if position, right, something like a cheap version of Paul DeYoung over there, uh, but who had introduced pop into his bat and was pretty quick, like not a stolen base threat, but going from home to first and then first to third uh, at well above league average speed. So, All of that's just to say, like, look, Tony Tony Losey in my mind is at best Mitchell Boggs. If everything goes right for him, he's Mitchell Boggs. If everything goes like a custom, it's going to be Seth Elledge, you know, just to give Cardinal fans names that they're familiar with. Like, that's Tony Losey. I know, I I still know nothing about Jake Summers. I worked tirelessly (laughs) last year after he was drafted to try to find as much information about him as I could. And all that I got was when he tra- uh, transitioned from being a starter to a reliever, all of his stuff got better and his velocity kicked up. Um, and then the Cardinals drafted him and made him a starter again. Uh, so I, other than that, like uh, my thought is it's not the prospects that make that deal for me, that make it a steal in any way. It's the money that the Cardinals got. That's what mm-hmm. makes it a steal for me. It, 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 that and the fact that the Cardinals didn't have to give up a comp pick. That they didn't have to give up their competitive balance picks. Like the fact that the Rockies didn't start with that blows my mind. As a, as a, you know, a rebooting organization, I know they're not saying that. As a tanking organization, I know they're not saying that, but the the, the beginning currency of any talk for Nolan Arenado, Arenado would have been all right, you're going to give us that competitive balance pick. Uh that's that's number 1 and then we'll work from the prospects from there and that they didn't do it is mind bending to me. But uh, do I think it's a steal? Yeah, look, the Cardinals needed this player more than anything, and they didn't give up top-tier prospects to make it happen. But they gave up some pretty good talent, and uh, the the money is the the deal-maker for me.
1: All right, Alan, I didn't mean, to, if you've got a few more names, to toss them out there. I didn't no. want to
0: transition. Well, I have last one, and then we could wrap it up. Uh, it's just an intriguing name for me, and it seems like he's been around forever, but Terry Fuller. Oh, boy. Yeah, what do you even do there? You know, Fuller, he was ma- starting to make a lot of positive strides at, at
2: State College in 2019. Uh, he was still, like, you know, he's still got a long swing that is, s- like, solely emphasized on pulling the ball. And he still had some raw moments in right field. But, uh, you know, he might be one of these guys who, instead of just, like, playing baseball, maybe got an offseason to become a baseball player. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that could, that could be a huge positive. Like, maybe he 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 gains from that. He's still young. He's still only, like, 21 or 22 at this point. So, yeah, like, uh, the, he's the exact player that I cannot wait to see. Or where he'll be assigned, I would assume he starts at low A Palm Beach because you know that's where the extended tr- spring training facility will be, and it's easier to keep an eye on him. But you know, I think if he impresses and he finds his way to Peoria to start the year, and by the way, I don't know how I'm acing all of this Palm Beach and Peoria stuff right now. I'm totally <laughs> shooting from the hip and nailing. <laughs> um, you know, I uh, I think that that'll that'll be the ultimate tell. But you know, there were there were positives at state college. There are also a lot of stuff to be concerned about, but. When you're talking about a linebacker playing right field, yeah, I'm impressed.
1: And I don't know that kind of made me think about Luke and Baker as well. Is he yeah. ready for AAA?
2: I don't know. I you know he's I, again that's one of those things. If you had a more traditional like a more traditional spring training, you'd probably end up getting a better feel for.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But uh, I think it makes a lot of sense for him to start at Springfield just you know the very nature of his time at uh just thinking about what he's gone through at college you know all three of his collegiate seasons at TCU were ended early because of injury and he had a very very up and down 2019 season uh in the Cardinals organization he had a you know a, a great start and a great finish but an absolutely terrible middle three months of the season and Uh, the finish would be enough for me to get him to the Texas league and then uh, adjust from there. You know, I I think John Nagowski's role in the organization, you know, I I don't see Nagowski breaking with the big club. It could happen, but um, you know, him at AAA is your regular third, first baseman, you know, more than likely AAA has a DH. uh, So you could, you could get away with getting Baker there, but I, I would like to see him at Springfield uh, and with a quick push if it's time to push them quick. Um, to kind of wrap, though,
1: how weird was it for you last summer not to have four games on at a time? I mean, did you enjoy being able to just kind of focus on the Cardinals or did you kind of miss all that?
2: You know, Daniel, I don't know the answer.
1: <laughs>
2: I uh, I don't know. I. There were times where it was—it it, was—it sucked at first. It—it mm-hmm. it was brutal at first, um, and I—I I don't know the answer to it beyond just it was brutal at first. Uh, just the very nature of last year, like if, if I think about when the Cardinals ended up being shut down because of COVID, if I just could have watched those games at Springfield, those weeks wouldn't have been so brutal. If I just could have watched you know, uh, some at bats, even if it was just batting practice, yeah. what was going, it wouldn't have been as brutal, but it, specifically, I remember feeling very depressed, like actual, you know, whatever type of clinical depression I deal with. I, I remember feeling very, very depressed, uh, during that time, not only because the Cardinals weren't playing, but because there was no St. Louis interest for me, uh, yeah. to, to, to drown my thoughts in. And, uh, so, yeah, it was definitely tough at first, and it's been a tough transition with the off season being what the off season is. And then even now, like, we talk about the very nature of what the Dirty 35 might be moving forward. What can it be? What could it possibly be? And not really being able to have a platform for that or to even talk about it. And then thinking about, you know, Triple A. if all things go well, A will start April 4th, I think, or April 6th for Memphis. And uh, if things don't, then you're talking about May 4th, probably. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been, honestly, it's, it's nice to not like have to write about it. I'm a terrible writer and I, I get so nervous and, uh, uh, protective to a degree of what I write that it's, it's and also I hate what I write. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's good to not like, uh, not have to fret over that, but the very act of like not being able to watch baseball how i like to watch baseball uh it's it's been a bummer it's been a downer
1: well i will say i think you're probably the only person that hates what you write i (laughs) want you to to know that because i i know my knowledge of the minor leagues is much better because of what you put out and i I think that's the case for most most everybody um thank you it's you know, well well I guess it's a good enough place to end it right there. Um but it's been fun having you on, Kyle, and we'll do it again sometime.
2: Yeah, hey, it's my pleasure. I love being on with you guys. It's a shame you couldn't get Brendan's shirt off last week.
0: <laughs> I think he was pushing for it. He was, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's uh it was very, very scary. Um <laughs> all right. Well, Alan and I will be back with you next week. Next week we've got on the docket Ben Godar also uh from the Uh, Well, from the blogosphere. So um, we'll talk to Ben next week. But uh, until then, for Alan and Kyle, I'm Daniel. Good night. Good night.